Computer, initialize Holosuite. Holosuite Media. Vedix, assemble! Vedic smart. Vedic Jackalot. And I am Vedic Collinson, and you're listening to The Vedic Assembly. <laughs> I just love how ridiculous we are. Oh, yeah. It's fun. Why not be ridiculous? Life is too short to be so serious all the time. I know, right? Definitely. Yeah. Just have fun while you're here. Gosh. Mm-hmm. Do you okay. know what happened to me this morning? What happened to you this what? morning, Medic Smart? We had our food delivered from the supermarket, and we ordered one bag of potatoes, and we got one potato in a bag. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. <laughs> So we had $3.50 for a potato that is like three inches long. <laughs> That's it. Did you contact the supermarket and go, what the fuck? It's like, I'm going to go, don't you know who I am? I'm Vedic Smart. That's what we'll do. It's it a special potato. Oh, that is so funny because we also got a sack of potatoes from the grocery store this week. <laughs> Except we can do pickup because it doesn't cost anything. So we basically just drive up, we pop open the back, they load it in, we shut the back, and we drive away, and nobody touches anybody, and it's all good. Oh, that's really good. Mm -hmm. We just lazy. (laughs) Well, there's that too. But see, I have to work. You know, I have to go to a place and work, so I can stop by that store on the way home, and it's not really out of my way. I just have to park, wait for them to bring it out, put it in, and then. For me, it's if I go go to the supermarket, I bypass all of all the good stuff, and like, oh, donuts and biscuits and (laughs) chocolate and fizzy drinks and ice cream. Whereas if I'm buying online, I'm like, no, 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 cauliflower and broccoli and broccolini (laughs) and yeah, so. That is a lesson into my eating habits for the Vedic Assembly. Excellent. Ah. Excellent. I haven't been inside a store in months at this point. Wow. Because I don't have to, and I appreciate that. Yeah. That's cool. All right. So, um, (laughs) shopping habits aside, what are we actually here to talk about uh, today? I don't know. I think we're doing an, uh, some more episode retrospectives. Is that it? Yep. I believe so. Yeah. So, what are we doing, Doctor Vedic Nick? Yes. <laughs> I didn't come with my Vedic notebook today, you guys. I'm sorry. Oh, neither did I. Hmm. No. Is it got a picture of Kai Wynn plastered on the front of it? No, that's yours. Mm, no. That's mine. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's just yours. yours that's yours. No. No. I'm a Kai Opaka all the way, so you know. Oh, yes. Just because she's gone doesn't mean she's not still my Kai. Mm-hmm. Mm. Anyway, so, yes, we're doing a couple more episode uh, respectives, continuing our sort of uh, 
retrospective of uh, season one, and we thought we'd kind of uh, do a little twofer with the second and third episodes. So we're going to be looking at A Man Alone and Past Prologue. Yay. So, <laughs> Liam, I'll go to you Try first. to veil your excitement, Vedic smart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think, how should we... I feel like it'll make sense to kind of just briefly go through an episode and then kind of talk about our thoughts about it and then we'll we'll do the next yeah. one. Okay. Yeah, do that. I think that's good so that we don't get confused because I get easily confused. We can do a few little comparisons between the two, I think, as well because um, mm-hmm. they're, they're different, but, I mean, there are interesting enough similarities that I think it's interesting that they had these episodes back to back. Yeah. Well, one's like a spy story, one's a murder mystery. Yeah. So we're going to look at A Man Alone first, because even though uh, it is listed on Memory Alpha as episode three, with past prologue coming first, it seems as if on every streaming pro uh, platform where you can watch them these days, A Man Alone is episode two of Deep Space Nine, followed by past prologue. So that's the way we're going to Well, technically... I. What do, what do they list um, past prologue as? Do they list that as episode two? So it's oh, past, so past prologue, yeah, is episode three. A Man Alone is episode four. Because Emissary is episodes one and two. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I don't know. Whatever they are, they're episodes two and three to me. Whatever order they're in, yep. I don't like one of them, and the other one's passable. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, thanks for getting that out of the way. We don't need to ask Liam what he feels about these episodes now. <laughs> Just kidding. There's much more to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Man Alone. This is the one where um, basically it is a... I thought it, f- it feels like quite a... Uh, not quite like police procedural, almost more of like a... Um, Agatha Christie-esque murder mystery because someone is murdered in the holodeck uh, where no one... It's your classic locked room murder mystery. You know, someone is murdered in the locked holodeck where there's no evidence as to anyone else coming in or out um, except it could have, you know, the only thing that could have gotten in without being detected is a gelatinous shapeshifter so and and odo hated this person so aha top suspect is uh is 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 our uh noble constable who also is investigating the case conflict of interest exactly yeah yeah well the thing is that that is brought to everyone's attention and he's removed from the case and he doesn't fight it at all. He knows that it's a conflict of interest because he's the prime suspect. And so he doesn't really fight that. Well, he's interested in justice. Yeah. He's clearly annoyed about it uh, and about being taken Mm -hmm. off. But yeah, you're right. He, he follows Cisco's orders because that's the, that's the sort of person he is. Yeah, and he approves of Kira and Dax being yes. the head of the investigation. So he knows it's in good hands, hmm. but still, you know, it's it's his thing. It's his job. It's his life. Hmm. And to have that removed from him 
I think he handled it way better than anyone else in his position would have. Yes, very much. For me, overall, this episode shits me to tears. <laughs> because, okay, it's it's the storyline is good. I don't think it was the right placing for it. Having it as the second or the third episode of the season for someone as strong a character as Odo can really put people off, I feel. And it's this episode is what put me off of Deep Space Nine twice before mm. forcing my way through it. Because okay. Odo, to me, was too strong, too gruff, too angry for me to be like, Ugh, I just can't be bothered with it, if you know what I mean. Like, I feel like we could have had the Kira episode, the O'Brien episode, the Dax episode, so we knew a little bit more about Odo's personality before we got into this one. Right. That's I can see one. that, yeah. I don't know. I feel like this one, it's it's hard to watch... Uh, to kind of be impartial about watching these shows now because I've, you know, seen this series so many times and seen all of these episodes enough that I just know the characters. But thinking about this as the second episode, it it might be a situation where, like, maybe the viewers don't know the character well enough to know what to expect. That's probably it. I'm not sure. I, I quite like this one, but I I think I can see where you're coming from. From a storyline, it's a good storyline because, I mean, mm. who doesn't love a murder mystery? We'd need a bit of uh, Inspector Tuvok on the scene <laughs> because <laughs> he, to me, is the better investigator just because he's a Vulcan. <laughs> but the, the the plot is all right. Yeah, the plot's fine. It's, it's interesting, but it's the kind of episode I hate. And it, I'm not saying that, that about Deep Space Nine. I'm saying that about television in general. One of the main characters is accused of murder, and of course you know they're not guilty, <laughs> but they're going to be treated like they're guilty, and people are going to be upset and call for their arrest or their death, depending on what show you're watching, and you're just waiting for somebody else to figure out what is going on, and it can be so tedious. Yes. So tedious and that's probably my there other are... thing like yeah you know it's not going to be them mm -hmm. i mean even with the second episode even not knowing mm. that much about the character you know he's a main character he's in the opening credits so he's not gonna be a murderer he's not gonna actually be convicted of murder so you have to just spend the rest of the episode waiting to find out who actually is the murderer, which it's a creative solution, I think. Yeah. A creative resolution of a really typical murder mystery. So it gets points for that. And uh, it, it shows some other interesting character things like Kira going over Cisco's head. Oh, hell no. Mm. Why did she think that was a good idea? And how did she think he wouldn't find out? <laughs> Seriously, you go to an admiral? Mm. Oh, honey. Oh, honey. <laughs> and when he said, you go over my head again and I'll have yours on a platter? Yeah, uh, I kind of felt the same way. It's like, you are super out of bounds, chica. The way... God, Not okay. Yeah. The way that um, Avery Brooks... Uh, Avery Brooks plays those 
those kind of interactions, the way, you know, he, you know, he, he says something like that, but he kind of smiles and it's just, it's a, it's, it's a little unsettling. It's just like, oh, oh, he's, he's mad. Mm-hmm. It sets mm-hmm. a scene for Cisco, really, and the kind of personality that he's got. Yeah. Yeah. And the hardest thing is, like, Brandy, you say that the episode's tedious because of the type of storyline that it is. I'm saying that I don't like it because of we don't understand Odo enough yet to be able to see this in his personality. It's yeah. really hard because I also have to give it some slack because it's a character-building episode in its own right because it's right at the beginning of Agreed. season one. And it, as I said, it's it's the thing that put me off Deep Space Nine so many times, especially when that riot scene came on and mm. was outside security. It's just like, oh, it's just, 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 I just can't be bothered with it. And it literally, it put me off, it put mum off. And then it put me off a second time. And then I said to Jordan, look, we can skip this one if you want. And Jordan's like, no, 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 no. We need to watch it because it's the Odo episode. But I just want to skip it every time. Hmm. Like I even tell people, what what Deep Space Nine episode should I watch? I'm like, yeah, don't watch this one. Don't watch this one. There's a lot of that in season one, I find. Just like any Star Trek. Except the new ones. Yeah. Yeah. I don't feel that way about season one of any of the new Trek. But the but older Trek, yeah. Yeah, I feel the same way, because uh, I think back on season one. Well, actually, season one of the original series has some really super strong episodes. Mm. So I would say season three is its weakest. Okay. But seasons one and two were actually really, really strong. But then again, it was the first of its kind. Yeah. So uh, it's, it was it was the, um, the what's the word Pioneer. I'm looking for here? Um, Trailblazer. That's it. Trailblazer. So, and every other series was following in that footsteps. But yeah, I think about season one of Next Gen uh, and season one of Deep Space Nine uh, and season one of Voyager, whoo, <laughs> season one of Enterprise. Eh. And so, yeah. Hmm. I don't quite remember season one of TNG, but I know in season one of Voyager, we had ex post facto as episode six, where a main character was not committed, uh, da, 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 accused of murder. And it's like, uh Murder mystery seems to be, like, the thing that they have to do. Yeah, mm. again, tedious. And even that was to develop a character like Tuvog's security. Yes. So it's like, well, they could have think of something more original for the security officer, I suppose, but... There were bits of this episode that were good, though. Oh, yeah. There's... Oh, I'm not saying it was a terrible yeah. episode. I'm just saying it was tedious yeah. in places. Now, there's stuff I... There's... Quite a lot of stuff I like about this episode. I even the um, the the beginning teaser when bloody um, Bashir comes and interrupts Dax meditating. That was tedious, but it it is in in a, in a weirdly entertaining way because it just shows what just how much of an ass early season Bashir is. And it's it's quite his, his creep factor is turned up to eleven. So it's right quite now. interesting to yeah. to compare this with him being creeped on by Garrick in the teaser for the next episode, <laughs> which we'll get into because it's one of my favorite scenes in the whole series. Yes, yeah. When uh, I because you know I I remember things once I start watching them, but I. Because I, you could say past prologue, and I'm like, I don't have a fucking clue what this one is about, and so I just start watching it, and I realized, oh, oh this one—it's a Garrick episode. Yeah. Yes. 
So, yeah, I was super excited about that. But we're not there yet. We're still talking about yeah. <laughs> the first one. Uh, this one has... I. So, aside from the fact that it starts out with um, some... Uh, let's call it light misogyny. Uh, with, um, mm. like, Quark and Odo watching the O'Briens fighting. And then Odo's whole thing of, of compromise. It's like... You want to listen to jazz. She wants to listen to Klingon opera. So you compromise. You listen to Klingon opera. Like, oh, yep. oh, man. I want to like you, but... Ugh. Well, but. again, I don't blame Odo for that. I blame the writers. Yes, exactly. And I blame the 90s yeah. for being that way. We thought we were so hip in the 90s, mm. and we were still so backward. Yeah. <laughs> Even today, we're still so backward mm -hmm. that I just feel like, come on, humanity, let's get to that first contact yeah. day. We're not, uh, you know, we're not on the trajectory right now. Mm. I think we are on the trajectory for Star Trek completely. We've skipped out on World War Three and the eugenics wars, but we're not far away from past tense, so... Mm. Oh, well, don't say that there won't be a World War Three. You don't know that. <laughs> That'll be New Year's Eve. <laughs> just to, just to fin <laughs> finalise 2020. Yeah. So it starts with that uh, unpleasant scene, but I actually really like the whole, like, I guess, B-plot in this episode of um, Keiko starting the school. Yeah, and that leads, that leads on to some really good episode... Plot points it, it, throughout it sets up um, in the hands of the prophets. Mm. Mm -hmm. One of the best episodes of season one. Yeah, and actually, just mentioning that something that I really enjoyed seeing the, watching this episode about the the filming and the editing, and I need to watch more episodes to see how much of it is in there. But the way that they switched focus between the A and B plots in this episode was really interesting because they seemed to do it multiple times with panning shots not cuts so you'd have like uh trying to think of an, an example i'm pretty sure you we have a scene where um it's where keiko is trying to convince rom being played very much not like the rom we know um trying mm -hmm. to convince him that, i was gonna bring to that. uh to send nog to her school you know, and eventually gets in to be like, okay, I'll think about it. And then she's like, great, and sort of walks off. And the camera just pans across, no cut, you know, same scene, flawless transition to, I think, a bunch of Bajorans sitting at the bar, um, sort of conspiring about how, you know, they hate Odo and they mm. know that he was a Cardassian collaborator and that sort of thing. It was like, oh, I, I like this. This is like... The little, gets the the little film study nerd in me excited. Yeah, that was a good. I, it wasn't really a good. It wasn't a cut though. That's the interesting yeah, thing. Yeah, it's a. It's it was a just scene a really transition. good scene change. Yeah. yeah, a really good transition, without actually cutting. Mm. Or if they did cut, they did it very masterfully. But it didn't seem like it was cut to me. Yeah. So, that's not easy to do. I wonder if it's whether they wanted to show the size of the set and the size of the station. Oh, possibly, yeah. Because it's not like your small ships. Yeah, we don't really have a very good 
scope of how everything's laid out yet because mm. we've only had emissary so we're still like some people who have just come to the station figuring out where the hell everything is mm. yep i still don't know where everything is i st- i don't either i don't either it's like where where is sick bay in relationship to the promenade mm. and where i mean how where how many levels are there and where are the docking bays exactly and where is that whole like central command is that like right in the middle and these are things I <sighs> and is the habitat ring on the outside or is the promenade on the outside yeah. I know, I don't know. I just don't know. I would think that you would want to have the habitat ring on the inside, but then you don't get a very good view. Hmm. That's a good point. So, I don't know. A room with a view is what everyone desires. Yeah. It I is. Mean, just... They charge more yeah. for a room with a view. <laughs> Quark owns all the rooms with a view. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but, but this is Torquay, Mom. What were you expecting when you ordered a room with a view? Taj Mahal, Oh my goodness, a room with a view. The first time I ever saw penises was that movie. Wait, well, <laughs> I was Seriously, making a Faulty Towers reference. I, I realized that, but I was thinking of the actual movie of Room with a View, which was also the first time I ever saw uh, Helena Bonham Carter. But, uh, yeah, there's this scene where the guys all go for a bathe and they leave nothing to the imagination. And I'm just like, oh, wow. No, this scene goes on for a long time. And I'm just like, huh. Penises. All right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Wow. They're just so. They're just so floppy. (laughs) (laughs) They were running around and jumping off stuff. So, yeah, they were floppy. Why? Do I want to know why? Let's just not. No, let's let's not go why. Well, it was just it was just a scene to show the camaraderie. One of them was a vicar and one of them was the love interest and one of them was the love interest's brother. And so and they they were just they were. I can't even remember why they were there, but they found a pond and they decided to have a bathe and they were horsing around, basically. Right. With their floppy penises. So. Were they horse penises too? Like... No, 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 no. No, they weren't big. No, they were just all normal-sized okay. penises. Not that I knew that at the time because, again, hadn't seen penises up until that point. So... Okay. I told my mother about it. She didn't believe me. And so she watched the movie and it was on PBS. That was the funniest part. And she, we get to that scene and her eyes just go. And then she, and she's just, she's just looking and looking and looking and, and it keeps going on. And she's just like, how long is this scene? <laughs> and I said, oh, a fair few minutes, mom. It was hilarious. She was giggling. She started giggling at about the halfway point, just giggling at penises. So, why do I always bring up penises? It's my job usually. <laughs> usually, oh, dear. but I always, I always either incite it or I. Uh, well, we got to twenty or perpetuate minutes. it. We always find a way. Yeah, sorry everyone. <laughs> I brought up penises again. It was my fault. 
because I thought about a room with a view because I was talking about rooms without a view. And there we go. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's all right. Oh, dear. Tangents are what we do best, Vedic Jackala. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this is true. I am the queen of tangents. Wait till the listeners hear yeah. what's coming out next fortnight. My gosh. <laughs> oh, that's going to be some fun. We're going to lose every single listener. Imagine. No, 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 no. Not at all. I don't think so at all. I think we'll gain listeners. <laughs> Because there will be people who will be like, oh my god, you guys, you have to hear this. (laughs) And then they'll listen to a regular episode and be disappointed. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Anyway, moving along home, Nick. No, wrong episode. No, not that episode, no. (laughs) Please, please, please direct us to which part of the episode you'd like us to (sighs) destroy next. Oh. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, God, where are we gone? All right. Uh, so, in a roundabout way, we're getting up to... Um, <clears throat> uh, so, this sort of setting up the scene for the big murder. Like, Odo and Quark are having this um, conversation about basically why Odo has decided never to couple with anyone because he sees it as, as more trouble than it's worth. He eventually uh, goes and sees that there is this uh, Bajoran guy in the bar um, uh, that he says is not welcome there. He's not uh, not a fan of this guy. Kicks him out um, and then eventually has a little um, confrontation with Cisco about the whole deal because, you know, he's basically... Odo just expects to be able to, you know, be the law himself. And just say, no, you know, I, I reserve the right to say that certain people are just not welcome here when I'm running security. And then Cisco just completely surprises him by shutting him down and saying, no, you can't do that to someone who hasn't actually committed a, a crime here. Um, and uh, this Bajoran man is uh, Ibudan, who, and I liked this, that they introduced this idea like so early on. So this guy was a smuggler, ran weapons and that sort of thing. And he was selling them on the black market to Bajorans. Like, so he wasn't a collaborator with the Cardassians. So a lot of, they say that a lot of Bajorans see him as a hero, but at the same time, if they couldn't pay, he wouldn't help them. And Odo mentions mm. that, you know, this guy let a Bajoran child die because her family couldn't afford the medicine that he had smuggled in. So, a black marketeer, I guess. Yeah. So, not exactly a pleasant person, um, uh, who is then promptly murdered on the holodeck. Oh, Hollow Sweet. Mm. In the middle of a Media. massage by... Someone with like suction cup hands. Yeah, <laughs> that um, webbed suction cup hands. That was interesting. So, and then you know she's he obviously has run that program before and knew exactly what he was getting. He ordered the happy ending massage. That's true. He, he did. Didn't. Yes. Before he could get to the happy ending, <laughs> he, the happy ending was starting. He, he but, had his yeah. not so happy ending. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, it does, again, setting up the characters, we've also got to set up the whole concept of the Bajorans and the Cardassians and what they've done to each other and... Um, is is world yeah. building as well this episode, which again I have to give it credit for, as much as mm. I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think that aspect of it is good because I mean we set up the the broader conflict in emissary. This one shows that there is a lot more complexity and nuance to it, um, mm-hmm. as does mm-hmm. the next one. Yeah, and th- I think that's a good thing because, you know. Everybody loves Trek, like, five to ten years after it actually ends. Yeah. So (laughs) a series suddenly becomes, like, the best thing ever (laughs) after it has ended, and people have perspective. So at the time, I wonder how many people were just like, oh, this is boring. But world building, to me, is never boring. Mm. Character building, to me, is never boring. And it may not serve the plot per se, but that's not what that's there to do. It's there to serve the character. It's there to build on Hmm. for the future. So I don't have a problem with those things. And so all of that, all those aspects of the episode, I was completely fine with. Yeah. Well, I I like it because it's done really well here and pretty much all throughout Deep Space Nine because... I mean, world building and character building, stuff like that, it, when it's done poorly, it, it can be a bit grating, you know, when it's basically just a plain, like, exposition monologue and someone's just <laughs> like, this is the history of this thing and this is what happened here and it, and it isn't woven into the narrative as it is here. I mean, we get a little bit of exposition about this kind of stuff because we need to know who this character, Ibudan, is in order for the plot to work. Yeah, I hate when, well, it's very rarely done correctly, but when someone starts with an, as you know, oh, God, to the yeah. characters in the room, and it's just like, <laughs> <sighs> yeah. you could have done it better than that. Surely there was another way. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, doing this, as you know, this, this, and this, I'm going to mansplain to you. Because the audience needs this exposition, and we weren't smart enough to write it any other way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I, hate I, I, I hate exposition dumps sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we've we've had the 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 murder, a murder most foul, um, <laughs> and we they start kind of going through the hollowed sweet logs and everything to try and uh, figure out who done it and what happened, and it's like oh the 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 hollow suite was locked and sealed this entire time um and he was the only person in here so uh it couldn't have been no one could have gotten in to do it um uh and then uh, i think odo himself is the one who brings up except mm-hmm. for a shapeshifter he's like i think he just recognizes straight away that it is pretty much perfectly engineered to make it look like he is the murderer. Well, and the thing is, is to correct me if I'm wrong, but when they're talking about how at such and such time Ibadan enters and at such and such time, there's a second time where I'm assuming the murderer entered, but it was, that part was confusing to me. I'm like, wait, 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 that doesn't match mm. up. What are you talking about? Yeah. So, 
Cause, cause the way that they were explaining it, I'm like, but that doesn't explain how. Okay. No, no, you're right. It's it, still I, with the the way that they get to it in the end. It's, I, it still doesn't really explain what happened, unless. Mm-mm. I mean, yeah, because they're they're like the doors opened at this time and the doors opened at this time, and then he was killed at this time, but no one left. Hmm. Uh, like but wait what i thought someone did leave how was well see that's the thing who left because it couldn't have been ibudan who left who's ever seen ibudan leaving so yeah because that's the thing ibudan was there he was dead so if they are saying someone left who left they would have thought that was the murderer but no one could have gotten in. See, that's why I'm so confused with how they explain the entrances and stuff in this particular segment. Maybe, I just maybe Ibudan cloned himself or whatever in the Hollow Suite. Uh, so it says that that the the Hollow Suite was locked and only opened twice. The first to admit Ibudan, and the second time, presumably, to let his killer exit. Also, no evidence of a transporter being used. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so Cisco orders Bashir to sweep, to sweep the suite for DNA evidence, um, which he does and presumably only sees Ibudan's DNA. Okay, so this is something that no one brings up in the episode. Hmm. If Odo had been the killer and had oozed his way in, what was to stop him from oozing his way out? Why would he walk out? Yeah. Well, that would be more so so they, they could frame someone that's not a gooey boy. It's like somebody has to walk out and a gooey boy can get out without opening the door. So he could have tried framing them like a solid. Yeah, but it it doesn't make sense because... Yeah. Ibudan knows what Odo is and what Odo can do, mm. and so he contrived everything to make this look like it had to be done by a shapeshifter, with the exception of the doors opening to let the killer go. Wouldn't it have been far more plausible and much more incriminating for no one to have left Mm. and that was the whole thing no one came in no one left and now there's a dead body so why they put that exit thing in there just really muddies the water for me yeah okay i see what you mean yeah because why if odo can ooze in why would he not ooze Mm. back out to be honest with you i never paid that much attention to it I've it. watched way too many detective shows, you guys. <laughs> well, that's the way thing. too many episodes of Murder, She Wrote. Way too many murder procedurals. And these are the things yeah. that go through my brain. Looking at it now, uh, this is DS9 does the sort of murder mystery procedural episode. Maybe don't quite do it as well as a show that does that every week. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh, yeah. Well, just... It seems to me like somebody in the writer's room would have gone, hang on, hang on. If he can ooze yeah, how in, does, how does can't this... he ooze out? <laughs> Why would he walk out? Why would he want to be seen walking out? 
These mm. are the same people that decided to put this right at the beginning of season one. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay, fine. <laughs> All right, I've had my say on why that whole holodeck doors opening thing doesn't work. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I mean, it it considering that uh, you know the next scene starts uh, with Odo sort of in ops, basically saying that oh, he's obviously been framed. And it's a very neat package, you know, that only a shapeshifter could have uh, entered the holosuite. Um, kind of pointed out that they could have done it even better to make it look even more so like it was a shapeshifter. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, this package is not so neat now. It's missing its tidy little bow. It is, yeah. Uh, this is, I think, also the first reference to uh, Odo needing to, like, revert to his liquid state to regenerate. Mm-hmm. Every 18 hours, yeah. Yes. Where it was like, when the murder occurred, I was in a pail in the corner of my quarters. <laughs> How sad, yeah. though. It's like, I live it in just... a bucket. <laughs> There's no hole in my bucket, Shit. dear Eliza. Oh, my God. You know, is that must be a, a world thing, because, you know, everybody knows that song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a hole in my bucket, bucket dear, dear Eliza. Eliza. <laughs> so he sings uh, it to Kira. Dear Kira, dear Kira, <laughs> there's a hole in my bucket, dear Kira, a hole. I think you've just named the episode. Then fix it, dear Odo, dear Odo, then fix it, dear Odo, dear Odo, fix it. How useless the, the Henry of that song is, constantly asking his dear Liza for how to fix his bucket. Uh, I got a hole in my bucket. <laughs> I, I don't know what to do. She's just doing all of the emotional the work in that lady. relationship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, here's another thing, just a small thing. Uh, they still have not figured out what they're calling Bajorans because I wrote that down Cisco too. Cisco refers to them as the, the Bajora. Bajora. Yeah. <laughs> one of, one of my just many notes. Like, okay. And they still haven't figured out how to pronounce the planet's name. Is it Bajor? Is it Bajor? We Bajor. won't know for a few episodes. <laughs> Bajor. <laughs> Bajor. It's a planet of I'm the from French. Bajor. <laughs> this is where they found Holly Blaster. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because in the very next episode, they're calling them Bajorans, but they're still saying Bajor for the planet mm. name. <sighs> so, yeah. What else do we have? So this is the scene where we have, um, as I mentioned, like that really good transition between the uh, um, the two different plots, and we get a little bit more info on like Ferengi society and how Ferengi children are. Uh, Ron puts it as a thrown into the cutthroat world of Ferengi economics, and if they survive, they graduate. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. Yeah, I um I don't like this version of Rob, I'll be honest. It, I didn't realise it was him for a while. Like he's clearly meant to basically just be Quark again. Mm-hmm. And I think I think the writers realized that, and that's why they changed Rom so drastically. Yeah. And the thing is is that you know, the Rom that we know, the Rom that we had mm. for most of the series, he was not dumb. He just wasn't a good Ferengi. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, 
that doesn't make him any less valuable, mm. and I love him. Rum's beautiful. Yes, he is. This rum is an alien to me. Yep. It's, <laughs> Don't it's like weird. it. Don't like it. Uh, Don't like it. And same actor. Still, oh, yeah. still Max. Just, I, I can't pronounce his last name. Grodenchek, is that right? Um, no, yeah, not. still same actor. But uh, very different rom. Mm. This did... This scene did show off to me that um, Keiko's a pretty good negotiator. Like, mm. she clearly, like, she clearly already knows this about, you know, Ferengi society and their education. And I like the way she frames it. She's like, imagine how much of an advantage he'd have over his business competition if he knew more about how Federation economics works and all this other stuff. Like, yeah, she knows her audience. She does. She's very skilled in that regard. She, when she's determined, she is really determined, and she knows how to get what she wants. Mm-hmm. It yeah. sets up then, Keiko for Deep Space Nine as well. It does. Which is a shame Again. that they never really moved her on and made her better after the end of season one. Like season one was Keiko peak, yeah. or peak yeah. Keiko. Unfortunately. Yeah, they that as far as characters in the show, she has the least amount of development and the least amount of care taken with her. Mm. It's just they could have done so much more and instead they just kind of make her the shrew and it's just no. Don't yeah. do that. Don't Such. do that. Haven't we progressed past this? Apparently not. Oh. Again, Such stupid nineties. Mm-hmm. Mm. Shakespeare's Although the nineties music I'm 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 really enjoying nineties music at the moment, so <laughs> I, um, I that's when I stopped I stopped listening to the radio in the nineties. I just got so sick of it all. <laughs> like I don't like this. Mm-hmm. But the two thousands. I don't know, it's a bit of S Club yeah. seven. Nothing goes down like a bit of S Club seven and steps. Well, the eighties mm. were my formative music years. I think that Late was the two thousands for 80s. me. <laughs> I was a goth kid in the 2000s. It was all Evanescence, My Chemical Romance. Me too. You mm. know, like the <laughs> scene kids. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Yeah, I I actually didn't discover Evanescence until like 2005-ish. So that when they came yeah. out, And I'm just it? like, who who is this? What? Who is this? I don't remember. I don't remember, but I would hear it on, because I didn't listen to the radio, no. like I said, it, but I worked at Barnes & Noble at the time, and in the mornings before the store opened, whoever the opening manager was, would put on music, but they would do something, we had like satellite radio, and they would do something besides what we were supposed to put on for the customers, mm. so I guess they had it on a pop station. And uh, that was the first time I ever heard Bring Me to Life. And I'm like, yeah. this is interesting. I like this. Actually, I take it back. I think it was more like 2004. That's pretty much when it was. Yeah. When when that, al- that album came out in 03, 04, maybe. So, mm-hmm. yeah. <sighs> Anywho. And then in 2006, I actually got to see them live in concert. Oh, sweet. That would have been rad. 
Yeah. It was rad. I was sick with stomach flu. Oh, no. And we had to stand at the back of the uh, building so that I could be close to the bathrooms in case I had to go throw up again. Oh. I didn't throw up. I didn't throw up again. But I was not missing that concert even for stomach flu. Yeah. The amount of concerts I've been to where I've just not been well, and I'm like, I am persevering. Yep. Mm-hmm. Green Day and Newfound Glory, when I went to see those, I'm just like, oh, I'm right at the front. Nice. I feel so sick. I'm being crushed, but this is all worth it. Yet nothing is worth me being crushed. I'm claustrophobic, and if people start to surround me and press against me, I start clawing people's eyes Mm -hmm. out. That's fair. I usually stick around the back. Well, it's weird to say this. Like, before, you know, the current situation where, um, you know, any kind of gatherings are not a good idea but before then i felt like the only band that i would brave like being up the front and being in the mosh pit for is a local folk punk band called the currency and their gigs are usually in tiny places anyway so mosh pits never get too like dangerous oh the worst one i've been to is amity affliction like oh god that was like i'm terrified right now (laughs) Sorry. Anyway, we're, we're, how do we get down the 2000s goth music? It's me. It's me. I don't know how I much of this so I'm cutting out. Because there's a lot. <laughs> we're with 48 minutes in of... and we haven't even started the other episode yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, trying to keep us on track. Anyway. What else? Never going to happen oh, with me around. <laughs> so what else is there with this episode? Right. So this is, so we're, we're still in uh, act four here. And this is when a whole lot of stuff starts happening. Yeah. So we've got the, um, Odo finds his uh, office has been vandalized, which is where we start realizing that there's this, you know, quite a few of the Bajorans on the station are convinced that he is the murderer and think he was a Cardassian collaborator. And they just, they, they want, his head um basically um spray painted the word shifter in his in his office um and also uh i guess we didn't mention that at some point when uh bashir was doing his analysis of the dna traces from the holodeck no that's right uh cisco sent him to investigate ibadan's room on uh the transport ship that he arrived on found weird DNA traces there um, in this uh, old specimen container and has been slowly growing that in a weird nutrient broth uh, in the infirmary. And a note that I put down about this is that it's basically PCR on steroids. <laughs> it's um, Which is polymerase chain reaction, which is basically what you do in a lab, you know, whether it's like what I do when it's, you know, I have a tiny sample of some insect and i need to identify its species or they use it in forensics to try and identify you know the dna of a killer or something like that and you just get one tiny little bit of dna and it runs this cycle to keep replicating that one bit of dna until you have enough to actually work with and his just keeps going and they grow an entire person out of it yeah it's like oh we we need to make the tank bigger you guys yep. it's still it's growing just this big blob that's getting bigger this is gross. From doing... Nutrient which, broth. Yeah. I love that phrase. Nutrient uh, broth. That's a real phrase that we use. I'm, uh, I, I love it. At work last week, I I grew some... Um, 
I grew up some bacteria in a nutrient broth um, for an, a new experiment that I was running. So, <laughs> Great. That's no, I love that. The technical term we use is nutrient broth. Grow a partner. No, it, it's, it's the, it, it evokes a specific frame of mind. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I like it. It works uh, very much. Yeah. So, yeah, here we go. So this is big reveal. Uh, Ibudan was trying to grow a clone of himself. Hmm. Um, wow. Yep. So now we have. <laughs> so now we have these two sort of storylines going. So we're figuring out. Ah. Okay. So the Ibudan who we saw murdered in the Holocene was in fact a clone. Why? Why would Ibudan want to create a clone of himself and then murder him? And while all of this is happening, we also get the big angry mob forming with what I wrote down as some of the worst crowd acting I've ever seen. <laughs> they're, oh, just, yeah. they're just like marching down going, Shifter! Kill the Shifter! Random person number yeah. four, say your line. Yeah. Not good. Not yeah. Good. Again, that's, that's another part of the reason why it just bugged me is this, is this scene. It's, just, <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a bit weird. So, and then, of course, the, it's more than a bit weird. Yeah, <laughs> the other security officers try to uh, stand there and break it up, and they're throwing stuff. Yeah, I know that they were trying to evoke this sense of racism because that's what yeah. they're displaying yeah. is racism. But it just kind of fails because it's so unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just it doesn't it doesn't land. I can, you can see what they're trying to do, but it doesn't quite work. But it doesn't land. Yeah. Agreed. Here's my question, though. Did that mean that the Ibudan clone didn't have Ibudan's memories, or did he have Ibudan's memories? And if he did have Ibudan's memories, how does that work? Well, my question is, and this is practically a throwaway line at the end of this episode, is that the the, yes. the second Ibudan clone that Bashir grew woke up and was a fully conscious person and is mm-hmm. going about its life. That's, well, it's starting a new life. That's not ethical. You just created a person, a fully <laughs> grown person, out of nowhere. <laughs> what? It, he has he has no resources. He has no job. He has no yeah. identifying information. I mean, he doesn't. He wouldn't want to step into Ibudan's life because that guy's a dick. Yeah, and a black marketeer and such. So, I mean, that's like somebody time traveling from the past into the future, like into our time right now, mm. and just getting a job and stuff like that. Like, no, 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 no. No, you now have to have a birth certificate and a social security number and a driver's license and all of these things. You have to either know someone on the inside mm. or forge them. How it's just all of these things where it's just like, oh yes, well, you know, like, <laughs> oh I I'm a, I'm a hundred years old, but I look like I'm thirty, and, and mm. you know I just keep I just keep pretending that I'm my progenitor my progeny or whatever and i was like it doesn't work like that so it should be about vampires especially in this day of technology yeah 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 and that's the whole thing about technology in this day and age it's like no one could come in and just start being 
a citizen of a country yeah. without any history or anything. Yeah, and I just, sorry, I just, I'm looking at the intro memory alpha and it's got Cisco's log entry from the end of the episode here. And it just says, Commander's log, start aid 46421.5. Ibudan has been turned over to the Bajoran authorities just after his clone gained consciousness and began a new life. <laughs> what? What does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? I want to know. Like, what are the, it wakes up. What, what are these things? What am I? Oh, dear. Well, see, and see, that's the thing. If it's conscious, does it have memories? And if it has memories, how does it have memories? Mm. Mm-hmm. These, are the, these are the questions getting, that I have. We're getting existential up in here. Mm-hmm. Oh. Does this clone have a soul? Ooh. Would this clone be ex- accepted by the Bajorans? Well, I mean, they seem to want to accept Vedic Baral when he came when Baral came back from the Mirror Universe, so they'll accept anything. Weird. But does I mean, wouldn't they consider that person still having a soul? But what would they consider a clone? I mean, would they mm, consider truth, yeah. a clone as a being with a soul? Mm. Yeah, his par. Does this, like, does the clone yeah, does this clone have a par? Does he have Ibu yeah. John's par or his own? Is his par These strong? are things I want to know. <sighs> this this episode creates more questions than it answers. Yep. <laughs> Way more questions than it answers. Oh, dear. Yeah. And then, of course, we get the, the final scene where we wrap up the B-plot of um, Keiko just sort of Checking in at the schoolroom and no one's turned up yet. Um, Miles has done actually uh, an incredibly, well, I, I want to say incredibly sweet thing by getting her a gift of like a old style school bell, which is very cute. He replicated it five minutes ago, but I guess that's just how you get a thoughtful gift for someone in the 24th century. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because I mean, you think about it and think about it and think about it. what can I get them? What can I get them? Oh, I know. And then you go replicate yep. it and give it to them. It make things much easier this time of year. God. It? Yeah. It's so just because you didn't today. spend a lot of time shopping for it doesn't mean it's any less thoughtful. Yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. Yes. It's the idea behind a present that counts. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and of course, last minute, suddenly uh, Rom turns up with Nog. He says, no, you're not sitting next to that human boy. You sit over here. And then... More, more children turn up and uh, she starts her lesson with something that I really like, teaching them about the local culture and the local indigenous people, which, you mm-hmm. know, I think our education system could do with more education in that. Just mm-hmm. saying. So could ours. Mm-hmm. 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 Amen. <sighs> yeah. And that's a man alone. A very uh, strange murder mystery episode. Yeah, it makes me wonder, what's the title referring to? Is it referring to the Ibudan clone being alone? Is it referring <laughs> oh, to Odo it being it's, alone? That's what it is. It's it's the new Ibudan clone is just alone in a universe that, <laughs> di- that he d- didn't want him, that it didn't want to be in. well see but i'm also thinking is it is it about the first ibudan clone who gets murdered while he's apparently alone or is it about odo or is it about the second clone it's just like what is this title referring to (laughs) (laughs) 
It's like an <sighs> onion. I want to know where that clone is now. Did he take a different name? Is he married? Does he have kids? He's a Vedic. Is he a Vedic? Mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe. <gasps> maybe that clone is the new security officer on the USS Cerritos. Ooh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Cerritos is needing a new cap, a new uh, security officer. Yes. Uh, they need a new shack. So, <laughs> so sad. <laughs> I made myself sad. <laughs> Oh, and then we have past prologue. <laughs> oh god. Okay, past prologue. Let's uh, let's party on. This one I prologue. like much better. I mean, I, I I honestly do kind of like um, a man alone, but I absolutely get both of your um, issues with it now, and it it is pretty standard with a lot of the things it tries to do and doesn't quite manage them, but it has good good character building and good world building. Past prologue. This is a. This is, again, has some of my favorite stuff, which is establishing the the really like complicated nuances in Bajoran society and the different factions of the Bajoran resistance. Because we have the the introduction of the idea of the Konma, who are obviously very violent anti-Cardassian, like freedom fighter terrorist group who are still fighting for them the war is not over because they believe that they deserve to get revenge against the Cardassians even though the Cardassians have pulled out of Bajor isn't this like so, the introduction and also the only time we hear about the Konmar I think it might be the only time we hear about the Konmar specifically but it sets up the idea that that is um you know that that is something that is part of the Bajoran resistance and we I'm sure we get other references to... Actually, we get references to uh, Shakar, like Kira's resistance cell, doing pretty similar things. Mm. You know, pretty horrible things during the resistance. Mm. And this episode begins with possibly one of my favourite scenes in the entire show, which is the introduction of Garrick. Plain, simple Garrick. It's perfect. Because he, he just comes and sits sits right there with um, Bashir, making him all kinds of uncomfortable. I love it. I love it so much because Bashir goes around making other people, Jazia, all yep. kinds of uncomfortable. <laughs> so it's about time he gets some of his own. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. And um, <laughs> I have one tiny little note of this, which has got to be some brilliant just kind of improvising with the with the set dressing is Bashir is trying to act a little bit nonchalant while Garrick is sitting down with him and he just sort of leans down and there's this plant on the table and one of its leaves is just sort of tickling him in the face and he just sort of brushes it away and they kick the seat in (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean it's just so awesome how Garrick just plonks himself down and is like hello Mm -hmm. you're an attractive person Mm. Oh. Hi, big boy. <laughs> it, is, it is so that. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's just like, it really was. oh, I like the look of this this one, this new, fresh young Starfleet doctor. New meat, mm. basically, in the station. Oh, yes. Absolutely new And meat. Andrew Robinson himself has been like, yeah, this is exactly what 
we were, I was going <laughs> This is exactly what it looks like. Yeah, exactly what it looks like. And it's yeah. only the producers that didn't want Bashir to have that type of relationship that yeah. we didn't get it. Well, not, maybe not even the producers, well, the... Um, the network. Yeah, most the network. Likely. Yeah. Yeah, well, the network can bite me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Happy to have met such an interesting new friend today. Mm, he is, and then Bashir is all excited, <laughs> running up to the to ops uh, again. He's like, like, "Guess what? Guess, guess what? Guess, guess what? You came to talk to me, the spy." <laughs> <laughs> we don't know for sure. He's a spy doctor. Yeah, it's adorable. He's like an excited puppy, mm. just running off to tell absolutely yeah. everyone. What could he want things. from you, Julian? <laughs> I don't know. Federation medical secrets, I suppose. Rest assured, they're safe with me, of course, Commander. Bloody <laughs> hell. <laughs> like, we get a few knowing looks between um, uh, between Cisco and Dax in this scene, I think, when they're just like, mm-hmm. oh, who is this child? <laughs> so naive. Mm-hmm. Throughout this whole episode, actually, Bashir's very, like... He's uh, so dense. He, well, yeah, and just unaware. Yeah, he takes everything literally. Yeah. He doesn't get subtext at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, this uh, is the point where they didn't know that he was genetically engineered. As in, like, the writers mm. didn't know because they haven't invented yes. that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the writer sure didn't know about that yet. So. Oh, well. I mean, yeah, so we're up on... Um... Uh, in ops, and then uh, we get a distress signal from a Bajoran ship coming in, being chased by a Cardassian ship across the border into Bajoran space. So they're breaking the treaty. Kira is not happy. Mm. Um, and at the very last minute, they managed to beam the uh, pilot of this Bajoran ship aboard, uh, and it is uh, Tanalos. Someone who Kira knows from her resistance days. Tanalos sounds like a holiday destination. <laughs> mm, yeah. I'm going to Tanalos for Christmas this year, you yep. guys. I mean, nice and Come warm and, and the palm trees on Tanalos yep. are so big. Sip margaritas on the beach at Tanalos. Yeah, it's better than Risa because no one ever has a good time at Risa. Except, except Hoshi. <laughs> yeah. The, oh, um, yes. I also liked how the name of the Kardashian was Goldenar. And I'm like, oh, it's almost like Damar, but not Damar. I know. I I thought he said Dinar, yeah. a Damar at first. And I'm like, oh, wait, no, that's Dinar. Not, yes. This this episode to me, again, it's one of those episodes that we needed to have to establish Kira and her connection to the Bajoran militia. Yes. The resistance cells, etc. But also build the world again around the Bajorans. Yeah, so I, I might we... much prefer this than A Man Alone. Yeah. But again, I feel like it should have come before that, A, a Man Alone. It might have done. I can't remember what order they were in. But yeah, yeah, I, I stand firm by this is better than A Man Alone. I agree. And this one, yeah, it, it focuses on that uh, sort of world-building done through character stuff in this episode and there's you know and we early on see the um potential for kira's divided loyalties 
or or you know as cisco sees it you know he's like i need to know where your loyalties uh you know that you won't have divided loyalties or something and she's like i know where my loyalty stands my loyalty is to bajor i'm like yeah like, she's just concerned about what is the best thing for Bajor. They've just come out of an occupation and then they've got the Federation yes. coming in, which to me makes it so stupid for what Mr. Holiday Destination tries to do at the end of the episode. It's like, <laughs> what the fuck are you trying to do? You literally, if the fact the Federation now, the Cardassians will be like chomping all over you again. Oh, no. Well, yes. I mean, I think I see... Well, obviously, his point of view is he, wa- he wants Bajora... I nearly said Bajora myself. He wants Bajor to be very insular, isolationist, just Bajorans, and he doesn't like the idea of it being a, a multicultural hub power in the in the quadrant. Because presumably from his point of view, that would be kind of like a dilution of their culture, or at least that might be his fear, and, you know, inviting in other potential occupiers. So... Yeah, I like I can see that. I can see where he's coming from. Obviously, like I would say like Kira is is correct in her assertions that that is a bad idea and that is not what is best for Bajor, but I can definitely see why he thinks it is. It sounds like Tana Lose is actually Maralago. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's so Mago, you guys. Oh wow. Um, yeah. Just a just an interruption here. I'm checking out the actual air dates of the episode, and Past Prologue did air on January 10th, 1993, and A Man Alone aired on January 17th, 1993. So they did air in reverse order. So I checked air dates, and that's what happened, and yep. why they switched it in the actual uh, Netflix queue and in Amazon Prime as well, I couldn't say... I don't Probably know. Probably based on filming date, production date, maybe? It's possible, but at the same time, usually they put them in order of air date. Mm. Um, maybe it's because there were inconsistencies that seemed less out of place with having a man alone be first and past prologue be second. Yeah. Because of the different way that they talk about Bajorans and Bajor. Yeah. <laughs> and the way they pronounce a, yeah. those things. That may be why. I don't know. I'm just grasping at straws here because mm. I have no other knowledge as to why they would switch the orders of those yeah. on streaming platforms. Mm. Yeah. So um, we have Tana on board. He's injured, but, you know, he's okay. He's conscious. Um, uh, and we kind of get... Um, an idea from quite early on. So Kira takes Tana to his sort of guest quarters. He remarks that they look very comfortable, but the bed just looks like a plank. <laughs> it doesn't look comfortable at all. Um, and from straight away, we see that there's this, they both have very different opinions about uh, what's best for Beja now, because, you know, Tana sees the Federation coming in as being just the same as the Cardassians occupying Bajor. And Kira's talking about, you know, the wormhole making them a power in the quadrant, making it this sort of economic hub of activity. And this is where Tana is like, no, I want Bajor for Bajorans. I want it to just be for us. So, mm. but, you know, she, Why she says... Why privilege? Yeah. Sorry. 
she she goes and says, um, in Yutana, you have renounced Konma, haven't you? Like, you're not part of them anymore. Because it seems like the Bajoran provisional government recognizes Konma as criminals. You know, they don't want to have anything to do with them anymore. But she's like, well, but we need men like, you know, these kind of strong leaders like Tana Law. So if he's actually renounced them and we can, you know, get him repatriated to Bajor, that would be good for us. Or as, at least as she sees it so far. Um, and also we get uh, two re- uh, guest stars who had previously turned up on Next Generation. Mm-hmm. We B1 have the Dura sisters, Lursa and Bator. Sadly, one of them is no longer living. Oh, really? Oh, God, that so broke sad. my heart when I heard that she had passed away. Mm. Oh. <sighs> I thought it was funny how they had Lursa and Bator on. Um, I guess they were just trying to link it to Trek canon by having some two random Definitely. but not major characters yeah. appear. Uh, oh, I've never... Well, yeah. they did that a, a bit through this season. I mean, we also had the, the one and only Deep Space Nine Q episode. <sighs> mm. So they they wanted to... Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, they, they the story called for uh, Klingons to be selling weapons to, uh, or selling bomb ingredients to Tanalos. And they're like, well, why not have it be the Dura sister so that they can be a bit villainous, even though the Klingons are uh, still on the same side as the Federation here. So yeah, have that little kind of thing tying in. And <laughs> we have Garrick trying to charm the Dura sisters, which is fun. <laughs> <laughs> Watch your tongue, Cardassian, or I'll rip it out and eat it. Just, uh, he probably got turned on by that. <laughs> probably. I mean, he was part of the Obsidian Order. Or was he? Oh, dear. Mm. <sighs> we'll never know, will we? I just I just think they've put some randoms in there just to try and connect it up, mm-hmm. to try and get people to watch it who were watching TNG at the time. Well, and that's one of those things. I'm just like, stop, stop doing stuff like that. It's not necessary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like dumbing it down. Mm-hmm. Just like how um, the first Next Generation movie was sent out on training wheels by sticking Kirk in there. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? Mm. Seven years of being on television isn't enough. You have to still stick them in there. I mean... TNG during its run in the very first episode had an old McCoy, had that two-parter with Spock. You do not need to have any mm. more TOS stuff. Just send them off to do their own movies, for God's sake. Mm-hmm. <sighs> and Lursa and Beethoven in that one, too. It's mm. not quite as bad as having some version of Riker show up in every single series after <laughs> TNG. I love it, though. Except TNG. I love yeah. it. <laughs> I'm just waiting for Riker to show up in Discovery. Mm, he's long dead by now. Oh, no, he'll turn up somehow. He's... No, he's only going to show up behind the camera. No, no, no. Mm. Well, I mean, they'll find a way. <laughs> I don't think There'll so. There'll be like a Riker sex doll or something. <laughs> they might find an old log or something like that, but he's not yeah. going to actually turn up on Discovery. Okay. We'll see. <laughs> yes, oh, we dear. will. <laughs> we got many seasons left oh, to come. <laughs> oh boy! Yeah, where are we? We've just had Lursa and Bator. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and but essentially, like quite soon after they turn up, um, 
there is a little meeting between uh, Lyssa and Beitor, um in a little private location um, where they meet with Tanalos, uh, which um, you know they think they are. Uh, they think there's no one else there and it's all private, but then, oh, there's a rat in the corner and it turns into goo and it's... O so Odo has seen them meeting and having some kind of illicit exchange. Uh, so we're not sure yet what's going on, but, um, well, at the same time, Kira has organized for the Minister's Council on Bajor to, uh, uh, to have an amnesty hearing for Tana, because she really, really wants to get him repatriated and back in the fold. Um... But uh, I think, yeah, but Odo brings this news to Cisco that he was meeting with the Duras sisters. And Cisco was like, hmm, best not to inform Kira of this yet. Let's let's see how this plays out. I just think Kira was way too, like, forward in trying to get Tanalos, you know, to be part of Bajor again and to be like get amnesty provided or whatever she was trying to do through the minister's council. Like he's, I think she just goes too far. Mm, that's actually part of Kira's character though. What it is. If yeah. she's determined to do something, yeah, she's going to go above and beyond to do that. And it may seem extreme to other people, but that's pretty much just Kira. Yeah. She's always turned up to 11. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's 11 on emotion and forcefulness, and Bashir's turned to 11 on creepiness. Oh, mm -hmm. yes. A lot of things said at 11 in these early days. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. Need to just tick it down a bit. Just, mm -hmm. just turn that knob just a little bit. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, and we have uh, the first little bit where um, the Dura sisters come and uh, visit Garrick at his shop. And they start, they, they much like everyone else, um, even though Garrett denies it, you know, they just assume that he is there sort of representing Cardassian interests. So they're basically just like, look, do you want this guy or not? We, they're, basically, they are planning to um, sell this, uh, the bilitrium to Tana and then immediately sell Tana to the Cardassians. Uh, and this is, of course, prompts um, Garrick to go and... Um, insist to Dr. Bashir that he should really come by his shop to buy a suit. At exactly 2055. Yes. Sharp. Exactly. Yes. 2055, Doctor. It's imperative. And then he gets there two minutes late. I know. Um, you are late, Julian, Doctor. It's 2057. <laughs> Here, take this. Go in this fitting room. Try it Try on, on as, as many, many times, times as, as you, you like. like. <laughs> Don't make a sound. I mean, how? I even just love him, though. Like seriously. Well, I, pretty. He's pretty dumb. Yeah. Pretty dense. And I, I love that he, he again, he brings this to Cisco. He's like, he came up to me and he was saying that I should come by his his shop to buy a suit, and Cisco just cottons on immediately. He's just like, mm -hmm. you know what, Doctor? I think you could use a new suit. <laughs> oh, yeah. I see, well, sir. He, he does. He does make a. a a notation of a very specific time to come and buy a suit. <laughs> He's trying to get Julian to understand, and Julian just isn't getting it. And so he's just like, fine, you really do need a new suit. 
Kick so, out. Am, I, am I hitting you over the head with this hard enough yet, Doctor? <laughs> go and visit. Yeah. Go and visit the suspicious tailor. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, he turns up and he overhears Garrick p- planning exactly with the uh, Dura sisters when they're going to be making the exchange for the Bilitrium with um, Tanalos. Um, and then he can finally bring this back to Cisco and they can they can ready a trap to catch him out. I mean this this the storyline of this episode is very very linear. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I do like the scene where Kira goes to Odo. That's probably the And she talks about her situation. Other than the yeah. 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 And she talks about her situation without talking about her situation. And no matter what she does, she has to betray someone. So it was it was a very good conversation because Odo was very diplomatic, you know. He knew that she didn't want him to tell her what to do. Yeah. But he also helped her to understand that she already knew what the right thing was to do. Yes. Because without of, saying what the right thing was yeah because of course at this point so the the rest of the crew and cisco and everyone know that tana is trying to procure this balutrium which they know is an explosive ingredient but they still don't know exactly what for kira i don't think knows that but knows that tana doesn't like the wormhole being there um and you know, he wants to keep everyone else out. He wants Bajor for Bajorans, so yeah, this and Or he he actually said Bajor for Bajor. But Bajor what the hell did I say? <laughs> you said it the right way, which is Bajor. Right. Okay, good. Mm-hmm. I yeah, and I love the end of this little scene where, you know Odo knows that he's convinced her, but he, he doesn't have to sort of say it out loud or anything like that. He just Call Cisco and he says, "There's someone here in security who wants to speak to you." Because he just mm-hmm. he he knows and Kira knows, but they just can't quite say it. It doesn't very, have to be said. Yeah, very good. And just beautiful acting by mm-hmm. everyone involved. It's these kinds of scenes that we needed with Odo a lot more before we got that stupid Man Alone episode. Yep. They could have put the ma- a man alone about halfway through the series, first series, yeah. and it would have been a lot yeah. better placed, and we would have had a lot better context. So, mm. yeah, and the things that developed through that, like the school, etc., could have easily have been put in this episode or the Tusk episode. Yeah, I mean that was a perfectly fine disconnected B plot that could have uh, gone throughout any episode. It didn't have to be in mm-hmm. the one that it was in. Yeah. Interesting thing that I can't identify if this episode really has a B plot to speak of. Mm, not really. Mm. It doesn't have. Isn't there a Jake and Nog thing in this episode? I can't remember if there is. It doesn't have them getting up to any no. kind of hijinks. I thought that that was in the first the um, A Man Alone when yeah when, when they the when they show. like release the the weird color changey itching powder bugs mm-hmm. and get caught and then that's sort of the first thing that um. Keiko season is like these kids are just running around on the promenade getting in trouble they need structure they need a school oh yeah sorry yeah. you're right no there wasn't really a well-defined b plot actually you are right about that 
Um, but I don't think this episode really needed a structured beat. No, though. not no. at all. I mean, it is it is strong enough. Like the the main plot of it is strong enough in its own right. And I think having something else going on would have distracted from that. You could say that the introduction of Garrick himself yes. is the B plot. I was just thinking that. I was just thinking that. Yeah. The whole bromance. Because, I mean, Garrick's pretty much everyone's favourite Deep Space Nine character. Mm. Or, like, at least secondary character. Yes, he's my favourite non-main cast member. Yeah. Yeah. If I chose my favourite main at the moment, it is Dax. Mm. Yeah, after our discussion last time... <laughs> Yeah, I, I have a hard time. I vacillate, but most of the time it's Kira for me. Yeah. Mm. I mean, especially given how fiery she is in episodes like this one. I, I really love that about Kira. And she has such a complex and and um, conflicted character. And you can see that in how, how Nana Visitor plays it. She's... Kira throughout this, especially throughout this episode, is questioning if she's actually doing the right thing by helping the Federation. Like, she just thinks about, I I don't, she doesn't say it in as many words, but you can tell that she's looking back to the person she was when she was in the Resistance mm-hmm. and thinking, you know, would me back then see me now as, as a collaborator? Well, and the thing is, is that it's not that cut and dry. Yeah. It's... It's just not because circumstances change. You are never going to be the same person all throughout your life. Yeah. Because you change mm. with circumstances and life events. Mm. So, you know, the person I am now, would the person that I was 20 years ago look at me and go, oh, the hell were you thinking? Mm. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because yeah. I'm not that person anymore. Yeah. yeah. And I think this is something that we've probably seen a lot throughout you know, history and, and politics with a lot of people who may have started from a much more kind of revolutionary starting point, but in order to bring some kind of legitimacy to their ideas, they need to kind of morph into working with kind of the, the, the larger power blocks, if that makes sense. Because yeah. ultimately Kira learn. knows that in order for her to make the most... Uh, the the most difference, you know, to to do the most good for Bajor, she's going to have the ability to do much more good by working with the Federation as opposed to against them. Yeah, she has to employ diplomacy now yeah. instead of violence. Yes, violence is exactly. not going to work anymore. Yeah, I can't say that any better. <laughs> cool. Mm. Yeah, so we have all of our pieces are in place and it's all set up. Um, uh, so they know that uh, with all the stuff that Tun has, he can make an antimatter converter, um, uh, uh, which is a bomb capable of significant destructive capacity. So I don't think they quite know yet exactly what he plans to do with it, um, but it's obviously nothing good. And Kira knows that the only way for Tana to trust her long enough for them to spring the trap um, is for her to go with him on the runabout and put herself in danger. So this is where her loyalties show through. You know, she she shows that, you know, her loyalties are first and foremost to Bajor, but she knows that the best way to serve that is to work 
with uh, Cisco and the Federation and to bring bring Tana to justice. Yeah. Um, so they head off in... Um, yeah, oh, okay, so Tana and Kira are in the Yancey Kiang uh, and Cisco and O'Brien are, are secretly following, hiding behind the moon in uh, the USS Ganges. All of these... Uh, I always liked that the all of the runabouts had the naming convention. You know, they're all Danube class and they're all named after different rivers. Mm-hmm. I was going to say that, yeah. It makes me wonder Especially if... Especially, I love the name of the Yangtze Kiang. somewhere out there there's like a USS Yara or USS Murray. USS Torrens. Torrens, that's the one in South Australia, yeah. Yeah, or the Onkaparinga. That's the other big river. Nice. Um... Or the worst one is where I used to live in the UK. It could be the USS Ooze. <laughs> <laughs> we literally, the river that ran through my town was called the River Ooze. Oh, boy. <laughs> wow. It wasn't a small river either. Mm. <laughs> yeah, we just named our rivers after states for some reason, or states after rivers. Mm. Uh, the Mississippi, the Missouri, the Colorado. Uh, these are boring. <laughs> <laughs> All right, where are we? Yeah, and we have a final little confrontation between Tana and Kira in the runabout. This is a, a nice little, like, tense action final scene, really. You know, we're just... They're heading out. You know, he's threatening to set off the bomb and uh, kill everyone on the... I think they say the moon of Bajor 8? Or something mm. like that. And she's just like, you'd kill your own people. And he's like, I'd do anything to keep Bajor independent. Mm. Eventually he turns around. He's heading straight for the opening of the wormhole. And suddenly they realize his plan. You know, he's going to collapse the entrance to the wormhole to basically get rid of the thing that is turning Bajor into this hub of activity. There are two major things wrong with this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like he's one. That wormhole... Is owned by Bajor. Like, now I bloody said Bajor. <laughs> that wormhole's owned by Bajor. The Federation is merely there, pretty much as an intermediary, to try and help them get better, but also they're basically being protected by the Federation from the Cardassians. Mm. So without that wormhole, there's no point in that space station being there. They then mm-hmm. lose all of the potential future commerce and trade, etc., that can go through that because it is going to become the pinnacle of the Alpha Quadrant with that wormhole. But secondly, or thirdly, probably now, that's where the fucking prophets live. He's he's a Bajoran. He probably believes in the prophets. He's going to destroy the Celestial Temple. Yeah. Like, it makes no sense. Like most terrorism plans, I guess. Well, yeah. Yeah, that's the thing, is that... They're so blinded by their goal that the casualties don't matter to them anymore. Yes. Whereas mm. that's the problem, is that if you're doing this, if the thing that you're doing causes this many casualties, it is not worth doing. Yeah. He has his one, his singular goal, and he doesn't see all of the potential ramifications from it. Because, yeah, it's like... Mm-hmm. Okay, if he, he does this and then there's, you know, no reason for this economic boom in Bajoran space, the Federation will not need to have a big present there, so they'll leave. Um, 
he is assuming that the Cardassians won't just sweep back in because the Cardassians were already there on Bajor before they discovered the wormhole. Even mm. without the wormhole there, the Cardassians will probably still want all of the prime resources that they originally occupied Bajor for. Yeah. So yeah, the only thing guaranteeing Bajor's independence at this point, ironically, is the presence of a larger power in the system of the Federation. Yep. Mm -hmm. He doesn't understand that. Yes. He doesn't even think about that. Yeah. And And he's just one of those, I'm right and I'm going to have what I want because I'm right. And it's like, given, obviously given the trauma that the Bajoran people have suffered, have undergone, it makes perfect sense that plenty of them would see the Federation's presence there as, you know, just another occupying empire. Because they don't know who the Federation are and they... And that's what trauma can do to people, is is yeah. put them into into this very sort of like black and white mindset um which is part of why i like this episode because it brings up these themes and it brings up these ideas and it shows that there are plenty of bajorans who feel that way but it gives good reasoning as to why no actually the federation being here is good for bajor in this sense because it's they are actually helping protect them from cardassia who uh, who would just sweep back in Wormhole or no wormhole. Well, the thing is, now that I'm thinking about it, is that the Federation were there before the wormhole. Exactly. They didn't know the wormhole was there. So the Federation was already there to protect Bajor as it was figuring out whether it wanted to Mm. join the Federation. So... But with the wormhole being there, that's just as an added thing that they need to be there to protect and maintain for Bajor. So even if he had collapsed the wormhole, that doesn't mean the Federation would have left. Exactly. I don't think think Bajor would have been such prime planetary real estate for the Federation without that wormhole. Like they say wanted them to join the Federation, to join the Federation. But when that wormhole came about, they were like, you must get them to join. Like, it became almost like... That's what kicked it up a gear, yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, like, it would lose a gear and it would lose importance. And it would be like, oh, well, we tried. But it's not going to be, like, a major factory getting Bajor in as Mm. it is at the moment with the wormhole. But I do agree with your point, Brandy, yeah. Yeah, because it would still be there because those other, you know, political reasons and everything for them being there in the first place before the discovery of the wormhole would still be relevant. Yeah, basically what I'm saying is Tanalos is an idiot. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's the perfect way to summarise that episode. Yeah. <laughs> he hasn't thought through the ramifications of his plan. Not even a little. Yeah. Yes, so... But, of course, they... You know, they manage to, to stop him. Yeah, and they, they basically show him that he he has no choice. You know, he's he's lost. He needs to he either surrender to them now or to the Cardassians who are hot on his heels. So it's just like, what do you want? Do you want to surrender to us and we'll turn you over to the Bajoran authorities? Or uh, do you want to go back to the Cardassians again? 
After which Can he... I just say something? Yep. And that's like completely not relevant to anything that was being said right there. But you know how I said Tanalos reminds me of a holiday destination? Yeah. <laughs> it's because I've literally been to a place called Tanalot in Bali, <laughs> in Indonesia. Oh, right. Tanalot. <laughs> Yeah, that's why it reminded me of a holiday destination. So I'm like, oh, I'm just, I've spent this last 40 minutes or something thinking about that. I'm like, I feel like I've been to somewhere that sounds exactly like it. And you have. It's it's off by like one consonant. Mm. Mm-hmm. One letter. Yeah. you got to yes. wonder. Which is a consonant. How... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, was thinking, I was thinking sound. What's the word for sound? Syllables. Syllables. Yeah. Syllable, yeah. I was talking about, you know, the actual thing that it ended in, you know, the consonant. <laughs> yes, I'm sorry. Uh, I feel... Consonants and vowels, and so it wasn't a vowel, so it was a consonant. Oh, just, just call me Tanalos. I'm a bit dumb. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Tanalos will forever be a synonym for idiot. <laughs> it's like the Telex will say in okay. Voyager. Yeah, you're such a Tanalos. <laughs> I'd love to think of like who it is or how, you know how they come up with you know different alien names. Like, are how many of them are inspired by just like you know names of holiday destinations and stuff like that? Mm. <laughs> they just look at a map of Indonesia. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's probably what they do. Yeah. They just threw a dart at a map. Shakar is Jakarta. Mm. Oh, you might have a point, actually. Mm-hmm. You get Banda Aceh. I'm sure there's like someone called Banda Ach or something. That sounds <laughs> like it could be a Bajoran name. Mm-hmm. 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 Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. We'll have to keep an eye on this as we go through the series. Ooh. <laughs> if we can remember to. Bajor oh, is I'll actually remember. Indonesia. Yeah. Well, there we go. Mm. All right. And that's it with that one. You know, Tana is taken back. He is not exactly clapped in irons, but, you know, he he is arrested and the day is saved. Um, and, and, you know, Kira knows that she's lost Tana's friendship. You know, he thinks she is a traitor. He thinks that, you know, she's betrayed the Bajoran people and is collaborating with the Federation. But at the same time, through her actions in this, she's really sort of forged a, a friendship with Cisco and... She's kind of cemented herself as as his first officer on the station now. Um, yeah. Well, the thing is, is I don't know why she'd care what a person like that would think of her. But mm. it's it's rubbing salt into that wound of all of the terrible things that she did in the name of Bajor Independence. Yes. So it's she she feels guilty, and so she feels. <sighs> You know, the thing is, is she's right. Things have changed Mm. and you can't do things the old way anymore because violence only begets violence. And the that's the problem with the people that you get to be violent for you. And then when you have peace, what do those people do? Yes. Nobody really thinks about that aspect of it. So maybe if Tanalos had maybe been able to get counseling mm-hmm. of some kind, maybe that would have helped. I don't know. But basically, they just wrote off all of those people. Isn't that where we come down to with, like, 
I feel like almost every issue that the crew's face in, in Star Trek is just like, they, a lot of this could be solved if they just got some counselling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Therapy works. Sure does. Therapy works. Mm-hmm. Even Mariner knows that now. Yeah. <laughs> Even if it involves Paul F. Tompkins' bird with his food metaphors. <laughs> oh, the puns. The puns. It was so adorable. <laughs> Being very fruit salad. <laughs> mm, good times. Well, that was good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if we need any kind of final thoughts on these like they're both all right episodes i mean um, a a man alone is not great but it has some good bits and i i really like past prologue i think it is one of the better ones especially of season one and i mean it Mm. it it gives us if nothing else it gives us the introduction of garrick and it gives us uh just plain simple garrick yep i am but a humble tailor yeah, mm-hmm. past prologue is better than A Man Alone. No, yeah. for sure. I mean, I'd probably give past prologue like a six, maybe a seven. Out of ten? Man Alone, I'll give a four. Like, mm. Just arbitrarily picking out numbers in my head for ratings. But, you know, they're season one episodes and they're character building and that's and that's what we're going to have to view those as. Exactly, yeah. Like, I, I still reckon that season one of Deep Space Nine is still really good. Like, it has some... Some really great episodes in it. It, I think where it falls down is the certain ones where they didn't quite know what they were doing yet, you know, because you have yeah. your little standalones like um, Move Along Home, which is just kind of like a weird thing comes through the wormhole and, and happens to the station. And it's this sort of self-contained little thing. Waste of time. And it's and it's a bit silly. And then you have the ones like... Uh, uh, the Q one where it's just like, let's bring in this plot a- aspect from the next generation and see see what happens. Oh, if people didn't like it, let's not do that again. But then you get things like Duet, which is fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know... Yeah, okay, Star Trek series in general, uh, especially the 90s ones, are known for not having great first seasons. But I think... Season one of Deep Space Nine is more than redeemed by having, you know, Emissary, In the Name of the Prophets, Duet. Just like, I can't wait until we can talk in depth about Duet. That's a fantastic episode. 2025. (laughs) (laughs) Not that long. We don't need to do all of them. We don't need to do them perfectly in order. No. Oh, if that's the case, we should have skipped a man alone. <laughs> I, I think it's good and it's fun to talk about bad ones every now and then because, you know, if we're just effusive praise all the time, that can maybe that can get a bit tired and, and it's always good to look at the things we don't like and analyse why. I agree. Yeah, well, that's, the, that's part of a retrospective. You don't just look at the things you like. Yes. You look at the thing as a whole. Hmm. The hole in which you put things. Sorry. <laughs> 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 oh, dear. 
<laughs> I don't know why things come out of my mouth, okay? Sometimes they come out before my brain is engaged. <laughs> And all of a sudden, I'm in the middle of a thing that I'm saying. I'm going, <laughs> no. oh, dear God. Nope. I'm, I'm, I'm saying this. I'm past halfway through it. Got to go around the hole. Got to, just got to finish. Yeah, just got to just gotta power through now. I've just got to finish. So sorry. <sighs> all right, Brandy. I think you can read the thing now. <laughs> okay. So thank you for listening to this episode of the Vedic Assembly. Before we close, Nick and Liam record on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and the Garna people of the Adelaide Plains, respectively. We pay our respects to elders past, present, and emerging and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. You can keep up to date with our episodes releases on Twitter at Vedic Assembly, on Facebook at facebook.com slash Vedic Assembly, and please also join us in our listeners community called The Nexus. Just search for The Nexus on Facebook and you should find it. Join the discussion there about new episodes of Star Trek Discovery. You can find Liam on Twitter at LS74656 and on this network hosting The Janeway, our Star Trek Voyager podcast. And you can find Nick on Twitter at Punk Zoologist and on Instagram at Punk Rock Zoologist. And you can find me on this network hosting Boldly Go, our Strange New Worlds podcast, What the Future Holds, our Star Trek Discovery podcast, and on Twitter at Brandywine12, Brandy's with an I, 12 is a number. And the Vedic Assembly is part of the Hollow Sweet Media Network. Vedic's Disassemble! This show is brought to you by Hollow Sweet Media. Computer, list other available Hollow Sweet Media programs. Loading Hollow Sweet Preview Program for Open Channel, a Star Trek community podcast. But I just want, I wish that more straight, cis, white guys said things like that and realized things like that. And I, please continue to, to try and show them the way. <laughs> I try. And of course, I have responsibility too. I am, I am cisgender, and I am white, you know. Even though I'm, I'm a homo. So, <laughs> uh, I think that's great, Nick. I think we should just wrap the show now and end on that note. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Loading Hollow Sweet Preview Program for the Janeway, a Star Trek Voyager podcast. Before that timepiece stopped working. Mm -hmm, that really because ugly, he saw it in the shop window. That really ugly timepiece. When I first watched it, I thought, okay, yes, this is a clock that maybe somebody puts on their desk or mm -hmm. on a wall somewhere. But later we see somebody pull the same thing out of their pocket. Do they not have watches? <laughs> yeah. oh, it's like one of those like huge clunky mobile phones that all they ever did was like call people. It's like, nope, this is just a big clock for my pocket. 
It's something that Flavor Flav should be wearing around his neck. It's that big and obnoxious. Is that a clock in your pocket or are you just happy to see me? <laughs> oh, no, no, it's it's just a clock. It's most definitely a clock. <laughs> Loading Holosuite preview program for What the Future Holds, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. Look at previous star trek series where they appealed to the male gaze mm-hmm. you had seven of nine you had those episodes of mm. enterprise yeah to paul when they're in their little decompression chamber or whatever yeah, yeah mm-hmm. when they're in yeah their let's undies. objectify the male a little bit around. yeah yeah equal <laughs> rights it's nice to change it up right see if you're gonna objectify a woman then you've got to objectify a man to balance it out because then right. it's not it's about time no kidding <laughs> Computer, deactivate Holosuite.